Hey there, and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a Catholic youth missionary here in the Philippines, and I will be your host here today. In this episode, we are going to talk about the kingdom. This is part three of the Lord's Prayer, our series on the Lord's Prayer, and specifically we are going to talk about the lines, May your kingdom come, may your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Like I mentioned, this is part three already, and so if you haven't listened to the first two parts yet, I would like to invite you to pause this for a while, go back to the previous two episodes, give it a listen, and then we'll be here when you're done. We'll be here when you get back. And so, with all that said, let's get started. might have noticed that ever since we got into the 30s, you know, episode 31, 32, 33, that I started highlighting more that I am a Catholic, a Catholic youth missionary. Now, you see, majority of the Filipinos here in the country, well, in the Philippines, are Catholic. Not everyone is practicing, but a lot are baptized as Catholics. And I think there's value in you who are listening to this for you to know that I am a Catholic. Now, you might be a Catholic also, or you might not be a Catholic. Maybe you are a Christian who is not a Catholic, or you might not even consider yourself a Christian at all. But I think, again, that there's value in at least you knowing a bit more about who you're listening to. And so that even though we might not share all of the same views on everything, or at least in the faith, uh, I think there is something to be found here, something to be learned here, that there is value in having discussions such as these. And in fact, I think it would be great if I could have discussions with people also. And so if, if you have someone, like a, a recommended guest that you think would be good to have here, you can let me know on Instagram, send me a DM there. That is the best way to reach me. Okay, let's talk about the kingdom. Like we said, we're talking about the kingdom for today because that's part of the prayer where Jesus says or teaches us to pray when he taught us to say, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think it's important for us to begin there. What do we mean when we use the word kingdom? Because we don't really use that word in our regular conversations, right? It's an old word. We use city, we use province. We There are other ways to refer to a state or a country or a location, <laughs> a given a given body of people, local government unit even. We don't call them kingdoms because that's an old word. We only really use the word kingdom when we're talking about video games or movies that have that kind of setting, right? But other than that, we don't really say kingdom in our conversations. And so let's dive deeper and let's let's try to understand that better so that we could also understand better what Jesus is talking about since this is a huge part of what he teaches. In fact, what we're going to do is we are going to go to the Gospel of Mark. So last episode, we mentioned or we read from Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus when uh, the the heavens were opened and a voice, we heard a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased, with whom I am well pleased. Now we're going to read Mark's version of that. And what I'd like you to pay attention to is what happens after. So after Jesus was baptized, what happened? What did he do? Where did he go? What did he say? And so 
Let's read from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. It says, It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. On coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And the voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit drove him out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of the fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Alright, here we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So after Jesus had been baptized, he was led into the wilderness, into the desert by the Spirit, and then... He begins. After John has been arrested, he starts it off. As my old professor would say, this was Jesus' inaugural statement, his first speech, as he is about to begin this movement which will change the world. So what did he do? How did it happen? What he did was he started proclaiming the gospel, as the passage said. What did he say? This is what he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's that word again, kingdom. Which kingdom are we talking about? And if you go to the gospel accounts, the synoptic gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find that this kingdom, Jesus uses different words to refer to it. He calls it the kingdom of heaven, and he also refers to it as the kingdom of God. And this idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this was a big, big deal for Jesus. He constantly talked about it, as in, he constantly thought about it. Remember when he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? And then there was this other time when he thought, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. And then another time when he thought, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom. He elaborates on this further in the parables when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And he would also say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. You see, this word kingdom is mentioned over and over and over in the gospel accounts. And if you, if you go in Matthew, it, it's mentioned a little over 50 times in Matthew. And Matthew has 28 chapters. And so there's about 1.5 to 2 times per chapter when the word kingdom is mentioned. In Mark, it's a little under 20, but Mark is shorter. Mark only has 16 chapters. He constantly refers to it. He constantly talks about it. It must have been a big deal for Jesus. And yes, here in the beginning of his ministry, in his inaugural statement, as he begins this movement, he starts talking about the kingdom. And the reason why we're talking about this is because even in the prayer that he teaches his disciples, the prayer that he teaches us to pray, which is the Lord's Prayer, what we've been talking about for the previous two episodes, he talks about it there also when he said, when he asked us to say, May your kingdom come. Now, what does this mean? Is Jesus referring to a physical place as in a kingdom? Talaga? Kind of like, like in old Europe? Well, 
the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let, let's let's use that. I think that's a helpful way to, for us to understand. What do we mean when we say the kingdom of heaven? What do we mean when we say heaven? How do you define heaven? If you were to ask a regular person, okay, whether that person is religious or not, how do people think of heaven? What is heaven? And an answer that you might get from these people, or you might even say, is that heaven is where the good people go when they die, right? It's the good place. It's the place where you want to be. It's the goal. We want to be in heaven. Live a good life so that by the end of everything, you will go to heaven. When people pass away in our in our family, and our um, friend groups, we say that they are with God now in heaven. So we think of heaven as a place where good people go when they die. And when you go to how it is portrayed, how we see it in the movies, it's all white. Everyone is wearing white. There's clouds and there's the pearly gates. And then that's basically how we conceive of heaven here today because of several influences that we have and uh, well because of how we came to understand it in our culture right now but you see the way jesus refers to the word heaven is more rich than just a place for good people to go when they die there's more to it there's a deeper meaning to how jesus refers to the word heaven and that's what we're going to look at today the kingdom of heaven because I would say there is truth in that, right? There is truth in the fact, as we Christians believe, as we Catholics believe, that when you die and you are in friendship with God, you come to be with Him. And that is a very important thing for us to learn, for us to understand, and maybe we could elaborate on that further on another episode. That is a part of what we believe. However, however, why is it that the way Jesus talks about this heaven, why does it seem to imply a slight difference from how we might understand it in that way? What am I talking about? You see, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Other translations would render the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near, is near. And in the prayer, he asks us to say, may your kingdom come. What do we notice there? What do we see there? Does it say, does Jesus ask us to say, may we go to your kingdom? No, he doesn't, right? He doesn't ask us to say, may we go to your kingdom. He says, may your kingdom come. Come where? Come here. May your kingdom come. When he said, the kingdom of heaven is near, which is approaching? Are we the ones who are approaching? Or is it the kingdom of God that is approaching? And you see, that this is super, super important. And we often miss it because we have this, we already have this preconceived notion of what heaven or the kingdom of God is all about, that we have to go to the kingdom of God. We have to live good lives so that we could go to the kingdom of God. But you see, the way Jesus talks about it, it's, it sounds like it's the kingdom. Instead, that is coming here. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. May your kingdom come. What the heck does that mean? Now, let's go to the catechism, okay? Catechism, very helpful resource. If you want to know what Catholics believe about faith, about morality, about uh, it's basically a summary of what Catholics believe. And so the catechism in paragraph 2816, this is what it says. In the New Testament, the word basileia can be translated by kingship. 
kingdom or reign. Now, Basileia, what is that? You see, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek throughout a span of a couple thousand years. <laughs> and, and this part in the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word for kingdom, or at least the word that was used that we translate as kingdom today, is Basileia. And the Catechism points out to us that this could also this could be translated as kingdom, yes. But this could also be translated differently. This could also be translated as kingship or reign. Reign, as in R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N. The reign of God draws near. The kingship of God draws near. Now, let's try to swap the word and try to understand this better. When we say, may your kingship come, what are we saying? And one thing that we could be saying there is, may you rule here on earth as in heaven. You see, our faith is not abstract. Our faith is very concrete. In fact, we even have a word for it. Christ became incarnate. This is not just some abstract philosophical idea that we could talk about and argue about for hours on end. Although, yes, that is one way that we could deal with these things. But you see, our faith is supposed to be lived out. Our faith is very physical. It is incarnate in the flesh. Incarnate. Carne, diba? Laman. Flesh. Incarnate. Jesus became incarnate. A word made flesh. And so our faith is meant to be lived out. When we follow the King, when we worship the Lord, it doesn't end with us. We become agents of that kingdom. We become parts, members of that kingdom. And we here on earth are meant to represent God. We are meant to represent God here and now. And in fact, that is part of the reason why we, as Christians, as Catholics, we really should care about justice and morality and creation, as in the environment, here and now in this broken world. You know how people would, would sometimes joke? It's a, it's a very Christian joke, so I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but sometimes people would say, Bakit ko ba kailangan pa mag-aral ng trigonometry? Eh, wala namang ganyan sa heaven. Why do I have to study my math? There's no math in heaven. Because we think that when we get to heaven, it's all just spiritual and non-bodily existence where we could just flow through walls, be happy all the time, and high. And it's not like that. Heaven is a very physical place also. And we could, again, we could talk more about that later on. But you see, our our... Our faith is very concrete. Our faith is incarnate. When we talk about God's kingdom coming here, we are talking about His kingship taking place here in this broken world. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because heaven, in a sense, in a manner of speaking, it is not just an evacuation center for this broken world. It is a rescue mission. What do we mean by that? We are not here on earth trying to have a good relationship with Christ, trying to get to know Him so that we could live good enough lives so that we could finally, after all this time, leave this God-forsaken earth. That's not how our faith works. You see, as we come to know Christ here in this earth, in this broken world, we are then made to become image bearers of him such that when other people see us, we become agents 
of his rule here that other people get to know more of God as they get to know more of us that we reflect his goodness we reflect his beauty we reflect his justice in fact these were some of the things that the early Christians were known for the early Christians were some of them were the type of people who were known to run into plagues instead of out of the cities with plagues when plagues would erupt in the ancient civilizations um, with, with Christianity there, the Christians were often the, the first ones to tend to the sick when everyone else would leave. The Christians were always against abortion in a sense because during ancient times, in Roman times specifically, the father had every um, liberty, no, no, license, would you say? They had the license to just abandon their kids if they wanted to. If you have a newborn son and you don't want to keep the son, you could just leave that son in the forest. They didn't have, you know, pr procedures that would give us the what we know today as abortion. Of course, there were some other forms of that back then, but that was one way that they did it. They just left it for the wolves to eat. They left the kid. But you see, the Christians would rescue these kids. And um, that was part of, that's, that's, that's part of how we know they were known because they were such agents of good in society and the romans wanted to persecute them because they didn't worship the roman gods they didn't they didn't pay homage to caesar they had their own god they worshiped christ they followed the way but they couldn't they couldn't directly uh, attack them at least not all the time because they were actually doing some stuff that were good for society and uh, it makes me wonder how we today as catholics today are we that kind of people are we the type of people that if we were suddenly to disappear okay I i've heard this described in this way if your church your community if it were to suddenly disappear would your neighbors notice would they look for you because if they don't and they won't well Maybe you haven't been loving them enough. Maybe you haven't been a force of good enough in that locality where you are. We are meant to be a force for good. We are meant to follow in God's reign and God's kingship. We are a part of that and we are agents of that. In the Catechism, paragraph 2818, it says, In the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come refers primarily to the final coming of the reign of God through Christ's return. But far from distracting the church from her mission in this present world, this desire commits her to it all the more strongly. Since Pentecost, the coming of that reign is the work of the Spirit of the Lord who completes His work on earth and brings us the fullness of grace. May your kingdom come. We are waiting for the final judgment. Okay, When I say that heaven is is supposed to be made manifest here on earth through God's people. Okay, that's that's what we're saying here when we talk when we talk about the kingdom, when we talk about kingship, God's kingship. We're not saying that we're trying to build a utopia here on earth where there will be no more suffering because if we could just get society together, then there will be no poor people and everything will be fine and then nothing will be wrong and we just need to get the right political system, the right justice system, and then everything, it will be heaven on earth in a very, in a very non-biblical, non-godly way. That's not what we're talking about here. Because as long as we live in this broken world, there will be suffering. There will be pain. There will be misunderstandings. There will be conflict. There will be lacks. And sometimes, you know, 
the saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Sometimes we could try to do our best to pursue the good, but end up hurting the people that we care about, or even the people that we're fighting for. Just because we say that we're fighting for this particular group of people or this particular person doesn't mean that we're doing good for them because, well, like I said, we live in a broken world and our hearts aren't always aligned with God and sometimes what we do just makes things worse. And so we look forward to the day with hope in the final judgment, in the second coming when God would set all things right, creation will be redeemed and he will be glorified in an ever new way, greater way than we have seen or come to know. That is what we're ultimately looking forward to. However, however, that doesn't mean that we here today would just, you know, hide in our caves and just wait for Jesus to arrive. That's not how it works also because Jesus has placed us here. He has placed us here. This is, again, we're not waiting for the evacuation center. We are the rescue mission. That is what a full Christian life, that, that's, that's part of what it entails. And now that looks differently for different people. And I want to ask, what does that look like for you? What would that look like for you? I'm not saying that you should go be a priest, although if you are called for that, that would be super awesome. That would be great. But <laughs> what would it look like if God's rule in your heart starts to influence how you work in your office, that ungodly place? <laughs> and how, how would God's rule in your heart begin to influence the way you belong to your family, those ungodly people? I'm just kidding. <laughs> and how would God's rule in your heart begin to influence where he has placed you? Because you see, God does not hate the world. God does not hate creation. In fact, John 3.16, the most, one of the most famous Bible verses. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And in Romans chapter 8, we also read from this last episode, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. This is quite long, so pay attention. This is important. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed for us. For creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. For creation was made subject to futility, not, not of its own accord, but because of the one who subjected it in hope. That creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption and share in the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains even until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You see, God wants to rescue you. And he wants to rescue the rest of creation too. Creation is not evil. Creation is not bad. Creation was made originally good, just like us. And just like us, as we are redeemed, so will creation be redeemed. And we are agents of that. I keep on saying this. We are agents of that. As we are being redeemed, we are being invited to participate in how God redeems the rest of creation. We are active members of this faith. We are not just passive onlookers. And as we are actively participating in, in God's ongoing redemption of the world, we look forward to the final time when he would set all things right, when he would wipe away all tears 
and justice, true justice would come. And we would see that. We would see that along with his grace, along with his mercy, along with his presence. We are looking forward to that day. But as we do so, we participate here, now, where we are, where we are. But here's the thing. The only way we can be effective agents for this kingdom is if we know and follow our king. Our king. It starts with how we know him. The church helps us with that. <laughs> Personally, are we living under the kingship of God? Personally, are you? What are the areas of your life that you need to place under God's reign? Or that maybe you are hesitant to, in a manner of speaking, bring out into the light for fear of being shamed, for fear of being rejected, for fear of being abandoned, unforgiven. We need to let these things come to the surface so that we could heal from them and we could put it under the reign of God so that it could be renewed and healed. And so that going forward, we could follow the Lord. We could follow the Lord. We are not made to be generic copies of one another, you know, how church people could sound so similar. <laughs> but it's not just church people. But here's the thing. Okay, take a look at the saints. The saints are some of the most diverse group of people there is. But you see, Irenaeus says something about this. He says that the glory of God is manfully alive. He doesn't want to mold you into this pre-made thing where everyone is supposed to just look pious and holy in a negative way, <laughs> in a not so in a not so attractive way. That, that's not how it's supposed to be. You see, when you become, when you follow the Lord, the one who made you, you become more of who you were meant to be instead of what you think you should be or what or what others pressure you into becoming. You become more of who you are. And when you become more of who you are, you become a greater force for good. You become more of a blessing in this world. May your kingdom come. How does this work? How does this work? It's not just may your kingdom come and then bahala na si Lord, bahala na si Batman, bahala na si Bathala. That, that's not how it works. Okay, may your kingdom come. And so Lord, take over. You do all the work. That, that's not how it works. Again, we are active agents. When we say may your kingdom come, part of that is saying may your kingdom come in me. In me. And I want to lead us to a passage that we find in the latter part of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26. This is a story that we know as the agony in the garden. It's one of the sorrowful mysteries. If you pray the rosary, this is where Jesus, before he is, before he gives himself to be taken captive and later on crucified, he was with his followers in the garden. He was praying to God and he was, he was struggling with, with what he is about to face. He was praying to him. This was one of his most, most open, or at least this is an insight into what was happening in Jesus' heart. It says in verse 36 to 39, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He talked along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to feel sorrow and distress. Then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He advanced a little and fell prostrate in prayer, saying, My father, 
If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. You see the similar elements? He starts off by referring to God as Father, and he talks about the will of the Father. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. That is what we mean when we say, may your will be done in me. When we say, may your kingdom come, how does that happen? It's may your will be done in me, in us, in us, on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go forward again. It says in verse 42, Withdrawing a second time, he prayed again, My father, if it is not possible that this cup pass without my drinking it, your will be done. This time he just says it. Your will be done. Part of what it means for God's will to be done in our lives sometimes is to deny our own will, our own corrupted will, our own broken will. When we will things that are not good, that we think are good, but because it is not good, even though we think it's good, we pursue it. And we, we pursue it all the more only to end up in brokenness and further hurt and suffering. You see, part of what it means is to deny our will. After all, Jesus taught us that what it means to follow him is to pick up our cross and deny ourselves. But you see, there is something that happens after we deny our own will, our own corrupted will. What Jesus does here in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in a sense, he is saying, I want to will what you will, Lord. Now, what does that mean for us? Yes, we deny our broken will. But our will for the good is something that needs to be purified when we allow our will to be aligned with the will of God. In other words, when we allow Him to reign over our hearts, then this could take place. Then this could happen. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. I want to close this by reading from the Catechism again, this time from paragraph 2795. It says, The symbol of the heavens refers us back to the mystery of the covenant we are living when we pray to our Father. He is in heaven, his dwelling place. The Father's house is our homeland. Sin has exiled us from the land of the covenant, but conversion of the heart enables us to return to the Father, to heaven. In Christ, then, heaven and earth are reconciled. For the Son alone descended from heaven and causes us to ascend there with Him by His cross, resurrection, and ascension. When we look around and see the brokenness of our world, the injustices that are happening, all of the things that give us grief and frustration and sometimes even anger, we can trust and be confident in the truth that God knows. God knows and He cares. And He is doing something about it. And there are times when what He is doing about it is letting you notice so that you could then be an image of God in that area. Especially, especially, okay, I'm not just referring to, you know, big areas when we join NGOs or groups that fight for certain advocacies. That could be one expression of that. But one particular way that God does that in our, in our everyday lives is in the circles that we already belong to, in your office, in your friend groups, in your family. How is God trying to enter into that space? How can He be king? of that space, of that circle. One way 
that that could begin to happen is if we allow Him to be King of our hearts. And so I want to ask you, is He the King of your heart? Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope this was helpful for you. We are going to continue this next episode. That will be the last installment where we are going to talk about the second half of the prayer, the one about the bread and the trespasses and the forgiveness and the deliverance from the evil one. We are going to talk about that next episode. Stay tuned. If you want to get connected with us, we have a Facebook group called Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. The link to that will be in the description. Go ahead and join us there. That will be super cool. If you haven't yet, please do help us out by giving us a rating here in whatever platform you're using to listen to this, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or whatever that may be. I am glad to get to join you today that you have allowed me into your space also. (laughs) I wish all the best for you. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. God bless, goodbye, and see you next week. Bye-bye.